Hey, what's up everyone? This is Clowns with Four Guys with Quarters with a very, very special interview um, from a head of a studio of one of my most favorite franchise games of all time in history. And with us, uh, a panel that you've seen before as well. But first, I'd like to go ahead and introduce our very, very special guest, AJ. Uh, what's going on, man? Hey, how's it going? Thank you very much for having me. Well, thank you for being here. We appreciate your time, and uh, we know that it's a uh, it's it's very busy at studios a lot of times. Always got work to do, working on new stuff, so it's always appreciated. Thank you. Um, and with us as well is Dreadpool from Game Beyond the Box, and Breakfast with Boom. What's going on, man? Oh, not much. You know, just having a, another beautiful day. Got out of work early. Well, technically after my overtime it's early for everybody else but no the, the, i'm excited to be here talking to aj and you know i didn't expect this to ever happen what absolutely aj is is an awesome guy and uh he responded right away so i'm really really excited to get into the topics today on, on battletoads and with us as well is the belgium sensation across the nation who will always tell you that belgium chocolate is the best chocolate in the world A.K.A. Flamish, what's going on, buddy? Good. I'm uh, very excited to have my uh, yeah uh, to do a first interview ever. So uh, because you dragged me into this <laughs> in the first place, but I, I do want to thank you, but um, and also thank AJ, of course, for being here. So uh, yeah, uh, let's get this going. I would say. Awesome. Well, AJ, I want to I wanna start off with um, one of my very first questions uh, I always ask everybody in the industry. What got you into gaming? Uh, yeah, I mean, I've been into games as, well, as I would say as long as I can remember. Um, so kind of, as a kind of consumer, like, you know, my first experience with games would have been playing on my Uncle Steve's Atari. Um, my first console was my Nintendo Entertainment System that my family bought me for my fourth birthday. So that's kind of when I really started falling in love with games and playing games. But uh, kind of the moment I knew I wanted to make games was uh, Day of the Tentacle. So an old LucasArts games, one of Tim Schafer's games he worked on at LucasArts. Um, and well, regretfully now I say kind of it was a, a dodgy copy that one of my friends had done. So I, the first time I played Day of the Tentacle, I didn't get to experience the awesome voice work or anything. But um, that was the game I played when I kind of really felt like, wow, like this is, this is something somebody can do for a career. Like this is something I want to do. Um, and yes, I kind of the, the job I always wanted my entire life was, was to to make video games. And I didn't necessarily know what that meant at first. I just knew I wanted to be involved in it. And kind of the path I took was, you know, I was pretty handy with programming. I kind of was self-taught programmer at like 12 and 13, making South Park dice roll games like south park wrestling dice roll games um and eventually kind of worked my way up to an employee at jagex and then bosser and then kind of started the lala studios uh, just over eight years ago oh that is amazing man um i've i've talked to some developers before and uh some of their starts were early in coding um like uh they made mods on game boy advance games with their friends like, like they altered like uh pokemon stats you know <laughs> behind the scenes and stuff like that so it's always cool to hear the origins and on um, the atari do you remember if it was a 2600 the 2800 
Uh, it's a 2600. Nice. I had one of those as well, but mine was the Americanized Sears knockoff version. <laughs> so that's the one I had. But yeah, I used to love, uh, what was it? Oh, what was one of my favorite games? River Raid? I don't know if I played River Raid. I, I, the ones that always stick out to me, I think it was Ricochet was one. And then there was a Western game where I just remember two very, very, very pixel cowboys and then some really bad cactuses. Um, and they're the games we played the most. Oh, I had I had that game too. I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, and like the, if I'm correct on the same as that game, AJ, there was like a little pixelated bullet that would fly across the screen sometimes. Yeah. Um, I had that on what they had back here in America. We had double cartridges, so sometimes oh, okay. like uh, on one end would be like let's say, um, oh, what's his name? I always forget his name, but he's 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 so famous. Everybody makes fun of him. Can't remember. It was like a, a ninja game on one side, and then the other side was that cowboy game. I don't even know if it was authentic or if somebody just manufactured <laughs> it and sold it, you know, at Sears. And I ended up with it because back then there there was some dodgy stuff in the stores uh, that people would just come out and sell. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, uh, Dreadpool, you you got anything that you want to ask? Um, you know. I, I was I was reminiscing with what you were saying because I also, as far as I remember growing up, playing video games, we um, Pong was like literally the first game I remember playing, but it wasn't the original Pong. So everybody always mis misconstrues it like I'm not that old, but I always remember playing that and then going over to the Atari 2600. And for you, uh, I'm, being in the states, we actually brought ours over to europe and we actually had an electrician like rewire it for pal tvs so i was able you know i was like one of the the famous kids in our area because we had this that nobody else had you know but they had it's just it wasn't well known in the area that i was in and i'll tell you my favorite game was pitfall that yeah. game was a fun game now after that you know going living back and forth between here and there in the states i used to go to the arcades did you guys do anything with the arcades scene Man, or anything awesome like that so and growing like up yeah so arcades for us like um they weren't super prominent so like in in the area that i grew up in which is where i am now where the studio is now um arcades were more of like a, a beach thing like a seafront thing so like there's a, a little kind of beach town called south end near where i live and so like you'd go to the you'd go to kind of like the pier the south end kind of beach and there'd be like all the you know the, the the coin machine you drop your two peas in and try and win them and then that's where we'd get kind of like our time crisis machines and kind of our sega rallies um so we didn't really necessarily have like a dedicated arcade near us it would be like the beach or the cinema would have a couple of arcade cabinets in it um so a lot of my experience kind of my younger experience with arcade cabinets was always part of something else so like a day out to bowling at the end of playing bowling we'd go to the arcade machines they had there um but you know i always loved the arcade i always loved the multiplayer stuff obviously battletoads uh, the simpsons stuff um you know that's the ones that really stick out besides like you know time crisis was the ultimate for me like out of all the arcade games ever from present day to kind of past like time crisis was the ultimate one for me that i just i still love to this day and still just think it's a, an incredible experience oh I absolutely 
I skipped through most of my college playing Mortal Kombat when it first came out. <laughs> Once again, right. a fantastic arcade game. Um, I remember in my dad's pizza place, he used to have a deal with a um a guy that owned like I guess like a a storage lot for arcade machines. So he would rotate them out in my dad's pizza places. And when he got TMNT in, it was TMNT, The Simpsons, and X Men the Arcade Game. When he got those three in, he cannot take me off the games. I sat there taking quarters from his register, just dumping them in those machines and just playing it like nonstop. Um, and, you know, it's, it's kind of like a good segue that I want to say is that with your with your uh, battle Battletoads vision here, it's great that it's in Game Pass because I spent more money in the arcades in one day than it cost for Game Pass. And we have such a beautiful game, Battletoads, in Game Pass. It's so beautiful, man. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, I mean, Game Pass is awesome, right? Like, you know, I've said it before, like, Battletoads, this Battletoads 2020, like, it only happened because of Game Pass. Like, if if Game Pass hadn't existed, we wouldn't have had the structure and the infrastructure to kind of be able to make this game happen. Um, and, you know, as a developer, it's done wonderful things for us. But, like, as a consumer, I just adore it. I mean, you know was doing some research stuff earlier and kind of my Xbox is back home. Um, you know, in fact, my partner, Harry, probably playing Crash Bandicoot 4 in it at the moment. Uh, but I wanted to play a game for reference and I was able to just whack up the, the Game Pass app on my machine and quickly just download the game I needed to try. Um, and yeah, I, I just think it's fantastic. I love it. Yeah, I, I, I like the way that Microsoft or Xbox has in, in, brought the whole ecosystem for, for gamers to be able to get to it from wherever, like you just said. Uh, has there been any... One thing I've learned. Uh, it's hard to say. Has there been any complications working with the Game Pass portion? I'm try trying to think of something different that, and unique with it, because everybody's always one direction. I'm um, anything, any complications with Game Pass that you've run into that was probably unexpected? No, no, not at all. I mean, like, the Game Pass side of things is so easy. Like, we didn't have to do anything bespoke for it. So kind of like, you know, when you open up a Game Pass game and it has the Game Pass stamp and everything on it, that's all just done by the system. That's all OS level out of the box. Um, you know, Game Pass for us has, has literally been a 100% positive experience. Like, you take away kind of like the, the business side of things, the fact that, you know, the game was able to happen because of Game Pass. But... They've just been so supportive. Like, you know, they, they gave us such good visibility around launch, continued visibility. Like, I've seen kind of Game Pass adverts where they've used Battletoads imagery that I didn't know was going to happen. Um, you layer onto that the fact that kind of we were launch title on xCloud or Cloud Gaming as it's now called. Um, honestly, kind of. And, you know, we are biased in the fact that you know it was a you know it's a it's a microsoft published game right so kind of I'm, i can't speak from a completely biased standpoint but i can tell you that literally the game pass experience for us has been 100 percent positive good uh flamish did you have any questions that you want to ask so far um i'm trying to pick somewhere in but it's uh, a little bit hard so yeah continue class <laughs> Don't, don't be nervous, Flamish. AJ's a cool guy. All right, all right, <laughs> Flamish. Whatever you want, Flamish. Don't worry about staying okay, on top. Okay, okay. Let, let me... 
I, I was thinking more like the earlier days because you were saying back in the days of the NES and stuff and the time crisis. Like, what was the game that made you like go? This is why I want to program for games and why I want to get into games, uh, like to make games themselves. Yeah, so Day of the Tentacle was the main game that was the biggest influence for me. So Day of the Tentacle was a, a 90s era point and click by LucasArts. Um, Tim Schafer was the main designer and writer on it. So obviously Tim Schafer now runs Double Fine. So he's done stuff like Brutal Legend and Psychonauts. But he's like his industry role started off at LucasArts where he worked on like Monkey Island with Ron Gilbert, um, did stuff like Full Throttle. Um, but Day of the Tentacle was this incredible game where um, three very, very stupid friends accidentally get sent into the past and the future. So you have one in the past, one in the present, one in the future, and they're trying to fix the time traveling toilet that caused the the kind of time disparage. Um, and it's, I love point and clicks anyway, but it's got this amazing kind of dependency where you can put something in the past and do something with it. And then when you collect it in the future, like sp spoilers, you can put like wine in the past and then go to the hiding spot with the future character and it's turned to vinegar. And it's like, like that was amazing for me because I'd loved video games and I'd played video games since I was four up to that point. Um, but uh, this was the game where I was like, oh my God, like the dialogue was awesome. It made me laugh. The puzzles were incredible. The puzzles were funny as well as clever. Everything, however deep down it was, it always had some sort of logic. So whether it was freezing and defrosting a hamster, it made sense in that world. Um, and that's really kind of the one that pushed me to do it. And in terms of what, like, being a programmer, like, it was just something I found, like, I could naturally get on with. Like, I think it's because it's quite puzzle solving, like, a lot of it early on. So I really enjoyed programming. But for me, programming was always a way for me to find a, a creative routine. Um, so I didn't necessarily want to be a programmer long term. I just knew I wanted to be in the games industry and I was quite good at programming. Um, so when I got the job at Jagex, it was this role called a game content developer. And it's it was basically a designer and a developer put together. So kind of I got to design quests and then I got to actually program them in a Jagex's bespoke language at the time. So whilst like David Tentacle was like the thing that made me want to make games, it wasn't necessarily, I didn't sit there and go, oh, I want to be a games programmer. I just went, oh, I just want to do this. Like, however I can, I want to do this. Um, and as any of my team, family or friends listening will tell you, I was never going to be an artist because I can't Ow. even draw. All I can draw is a pig yeah. head. That's oh. the one thing I draw. <laughs> it's on the wall somewhere around the studio right now. There was a, a new whiteboard wall that went up and so I drew my famous pig head on it and signed it. Um, but yeah, so I always knew kind of there yeah, had to be a different path for me that wasn't art. So kind of, yeah, programming ended up opening the door for me to be a designer. And then I kind of skipped the designer stage and went straight to kind of director because I had my own company. Okay. And were um, when you were like um, studying for it and, and trying to learn with it, was there something that like um, was like uh, interesting that you saw differently from like a different viewpoint i would say um about the... hold on um <laughs> do you mean so like... so you were learning to program right and there were yeah. uh, maybe something you didn't saw before like um way we're getting into like oh this is how that's done or uh that makes it uh 
Damn it. Clowns. So like, did, did I think of anything like new while I was programming that I hadn't necessarily considered beforehand? Is that what yes. you think? Yes, something like yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, I was a really awful student. Like, um, you know, I got on all right at school and I did okay at school. Um, and then I got to university and I didn't really like my teachers or a lot of the way they, they talked. So, like, you know, I, I wouldn't say I necessarily gave my education kind of my full attention because I kind of felt let down very early. You know, I would walk into a class and they'd have just got a lecture off the internet and printed it off and they'd be, you know, putting it on the screen and just literally reading someone else's slides. Um, so I really didn't feel engaged with education. Um, so I actually think to a large extent, like I think if I hadn't done a lot of programming early on before education, then I think I actually might have been pushed away from it a bit more because of doing my degree. Um, in terms of kind of like new stuff, like I think doing the programming and like working with other people at university was the best thing I got from it. So kind of like being put into groups and realizing, oh, you know, this thing that I thought was just something I did on my own. Like, actually, it's a lot more fun when I'm with other people. And where I'm weak in this area, my friend Jordan was much, much stronger. So like, you know, and I think I really started to learn about complementary behaviors at kind of that level. And that was kind of something that's always stuck with me this idea that like you know this isn't a one-man effort this is something as a team and we should always look for how we can support each other um i never did personally i never did anything groundbreaking um at, you know at that time and when i was at university i didn't even get to work on games game courses didn't really exist when i went to university so like the stuff they got us programming was things like, oh, do a inventory system for a car showroom that sold secondhand cars. Um, so more of the stuff like I did myself was kind of games related. It was the stuff like, you know, I did the South Park wrestling sim. Um, as, I, as the years went by, I, I was working on another wrestling thing. Like I was trying to do like a, a football manager, but for wrestling and so like yeah there wasn't a lot i learned from kind of coming up in the like in education that showed me much about it um when i got to kind of jagex and i kind of did programming as a career like i felt like i learned a lot from other departments like i always really felt i've always done better from like you know working with artists and audio guys and qa and like that's where i really feel a lot of my strengths came through and i think that's part of the reason like you know as okay. soon as I could, I hired programmers well, I at Delala that, but, that were better right. than me. I mean, Chris, our senior programmer, joined like two weeks after the studio formed. And even as a young whippersnapper back then, he was already better than me. Um, and Ben, my tech director, who's been with us for nearly eight years, like he very quickly told me I wasn't allowed to program anymore. Like we built a team that was better than me at programming. So there was no need for me to do it. So kind of. Like, I actually think the stuff I've learned the most from my career is figuring out kind of what people's strengths are, what my strengths and weaknesses are, and kind of finding a way to help teams work together, as opposed to kind of finding ways to be groundbreaking myself on an individual level. Okay. Klaus, uh, do you want to add something else? Yeah, I was going to ask you, um, growing up on Nintendo or Super Nintendo, did you play uh, any of the original Battletoads? Oh, yes. So uh, my first game I played of Battletoads was Battletoads Double Dragon. Um, and that was myself and my cousin Jamie used to play that game a lot. Um, 
and that slowly moved me on to the original Battletoads, the 91 Battletoads, um, which, like most people, I played the first three levels over and over again because uh, I couldn't get past the Turbo Tunnel. And then kind of later on when I discovered emulation and ROMs and I was able to save state, I finally beat the Turbo Tunnel and got to experience like how awesome the rest of that game is. Like... The level after the turbo tunnel, like when it gets to like the snow platforming level, is one of my favourite levels in games. Um, you know, it, it blew my mind because you could do stuff like you used to dodge the enemy snowballs from the snowmen, and it used to open, like knock down and break through a path for you. And like, so I loved all that. Um, but yeah, like you know, this was literally a dream project for me because Battletoads has been in my top five games for as long as I can remember. Um, so yeah, my. I played the NES stuff. I didn't play Battle Maniacs until a lot later, and I played arcade in the arcade. Um, so yeah, I played really all. I played really most of them, bar Battle Maniacs. I was okay. also thinking, like, because you um, play Tank Crisis, did you also play uh, the Duck Hunt game with the gun? Oh, of course, yes, yes. Because for us over here, Duck Hunt and uh, Mario Bros. So Super Mario Bros. The first one came on a dual cartridge. Um, okay. So yeah, I didn't own Duck Hunt, but my cousin Jamie, who I played Battletoads Double Dragon with, he did. So like he had, he had the Mario Duck Hunt, Duck Hunt kind of split cartridge. Um, yeah, and I absolutely loved that. Absolutely loved it. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. Johannes uh, Brunhuber in the chat says ad break. No, uh, this what you're seeing here is me playing the Battletoads um, from Delilah Studios, and I did it on Twitch. And unfortunately, on the Twitch vods, um, they put ad breaks in so often, and I had no way of cutting that out. Um, so that's like a Twitch thing, unfortunately. But it, I wanted to get an original clip of me playing. Battletoads rather than take somebody else's YouTube uh, just because I feel it's more appropriate if it's your own play than you know stealing somebody else's play so unfortunately I apologize for that um, I don't agree with that Wingstop ad either because it makes me hungry so yeah um, I missed it I was too busy listening <laughs> absorbing yeah you know it's, it's something that Twitch does and uh, I, I'm not a big fan of it I'm just not a fan. Um, AJ, I was going to ask you, so being a, an original fan of Battletoads and Battletoads and Battletoads Double Dragon was awesome. I believe that one I played on Genesis. I don't think I played that one on, on Nintendo at the time. But how did you come in contact with Rare or get in touch with them and be like, oh, I want to make the Battletoads. My studio wants to do it. Yeah, so um, I actually met Craig Duncan, the studio head of Rare, in the year we formed, so 2012. Um, so very early on, I ended up doing um, a, a talk, my first kind of public kind of speaking, kind of did a presentation. Um, and it was great. It was this like, little room. I went through it, and um, one of the people I met there was Craig Duncan. And he came up to me, he gave me his business card, and said, hey, you know, I know you're busy right now, but if you get a chance to chat... Um, and kind of me and Craig became friends from that point onwards. Um, and Craig's really been a real mentor to me in the industry. Um, and so from 2012, I've been saying to Craig, look, give me Battletoads, give me Battletoads. And Craig was always very professional. You know, you're not ready for it yet. You know, when the right time and the right pitch comes around, maybe we can talk about it. So kind of, I was 
always asking for battle tokens. I had some awful pitches. I mean, I sent him one pitch, which was this terrible 3D episodic game where the battle toads were time travelers and they accidentally wronged a load of things. And yeah, it was it was terrible. Craig, Craig permanently made the right choice. Um, and then around 2016, kind of, we had a project canceled that we'd been working on. And um, kind of got into a conversation with Craig, showed him some of the tools we'd made and the stuff we'd been working on. And we kind of, we'd really found our like our, our spot as like a 2D studio at that point. Like we'd really got into the hand-drawn classic animation approach. Um, and Craig was like, oh, okay, let's talk about Battletoads. Um, and so we worked on a pitch. So kind of in 2016, we pulled together this pitch um, for kind of very much what the game you've played now was. Like in 2016, it was just kind of like a PowerPoint presentation. Um, you know, we worked on it together. We got it to a point where we were really happy. It got pitched through kind of the process. Um, but the problem was that the the infrastructure and the funding kind of structure didn't exist then. So like, you know, there's Idea Xbox, which is the amazing program that Chris Charla runs. And that kind of funds your indie titles. And that kind of, that, that supports titles that are like, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars downwards. Um, and then at the time it was Microsoft Game Studios who are obviously like, you know, your, your 20 to 100 million pound kind of games. Um, but there was nothing for those kind of titles that sit in the middle, those mid-sized studio. Um, so for kind of as much as everyone loved the pitch, it just wasn't due to happen. So kind of we stopped talking about it around uh, Christmas 2017. I think we kind of, you know, we'd done everything we could and we thought it was done. Um, and then around May time 2018, kind of Craig messaged me and was like, hey, you know, um, I'm going over to Seattle. Um, there's been some rumblings about other titles. If Battletoads was going to happen again, like, would you guys be interested? And we were like, of course. Like, you know, this is literally one of my bucket list projects. Um, as a studio, we'd been suffering hard times. And, like, this would have been a perfect project for us. But, you know, it was it was conversation, so I didn't think a lot of it. Um, and then about 24 hours later, I just got this email from Craig. And it just said, hey, I'm about to go into meeting for 10 minutes, but we are go. Um, and that's all he said, and then he disappeared for like, or for 10 hours, sorry, not 10 minutes. Like, he disappeared for 10 hours, and obviously, in hindsight, the words, we are go, are now very obvious. He meant we were making the game, but at that point, I was just a mess. I was just sat at my desk. I was like, is this real? Like, are, are we doing this? And I had to take kind of like, I took my leadership team, like Jen, my production director, Ben, my tech director, and Mark, my IT director. Like, I took them in the, the boardroom, and I was like, I've got this email. I think it means this, but I've got no way to find out for 10 hours. Um, and then, yeah, you fast forward a few weeks and we signed the contract, got on a plane, announced Battletoads at E3 2018. Oh, man, that is that is awesome. I'm so glad that it came through for you guys, because I think that nobody else could have done such a great job as you guys have, because there's a lot of like as a fan of Battletoads, I can see that there's a lot of originality in it as well with like a modernization to it and like it's like it is that it's it's kind of like that 2d game with a 3d kind of environment but it's modernized with the art style and i just i mean it's fantastic it's it's lovely man like i wish i had posters of battletoads hanging <laughs> out on my wall um graphic god in the chat said he asked what made you guys decide to go with what he calls Saturday morning cartoon art style rather than uh, like a realistic approach like Battletoads and Killer Instant. 
I mean, uh, great question. Um, and Saturday morning cartoon was literally one of our kind of targets for this. So it's great to hear them say that. Um, yeah. So, you know, when I think about Battletoads, I think about that kind of that period of my life, like growing up, you know, and I think about how awesome, you know, I used to enjoy playing couch co-op games with my parents, with my cousin, you know, when we were, things were a little bit older with my little sister. Um, and the other thing I've always loved growing up was just cartoons, you know, Cartoon Network, Nicktoons, that stuff like that. I loved that. And as I got older, you know, and as we got further into the 90s, the games reflected that, right? So, you know, Earthworm Jim, you know, it's no secret. I love Earthworm Jim 1 and 2. They were just cartoon games. And even if you look at like Battletoads, they did the Tex Avery, big expressions, eyes popping out. Um, so it was never a question for me once we kind of found our foot you know and we, we figured out that this is what we did we did this hand-drawn animated style um i knew instantly that i wanted to bring kind of that cartoon network feel to battletoads like it, it just made sense for me like to me battletoads didn't instantly bring that gritty heavy metal aesthetic it didn't bring that kind of killer instinct rare replay kind of realism it, it brought that cartooniness like that's what i remembered from playing it so kind of that was always the plan like even we did like 200 300 different toad designs but they all kind of took influence from kind of that cartoon background now seeing that graphic guy took my question away from me <laughs> that was part of it because i was gonna i was gonna go with the thank god craig said no back then you know <laughs> oh. could you, i mean could you imagine i i know you could imagine but could you explain how the the 3d game would have worked back then in your mind as, as you've progressed i mean no that's the important thing well that's how that's why craig did such a good call because i was so early into my career as a game director you know i i took what i thought was good ideas and i put them into a deck but it, it wasn't a vision you know that 2016 pitch for what we made that was you know that was a deck describing the vision of a game whereas the early pitches were just ideas they weren't like a vision it wasn't something i could have anchored the team to um so yeah i honestly couldn't tell you kind of about that game because i, I never had it fully realized i was just so desperate to do a battletoads game i was you know trying to latch onto things i thought would work without actually putting the real thought into them and so yet you still, you still put all these different games you get the beat em up shoot em up you got all all these different way the levels are even even the even the 2ds and 3d it's really cool you know how the vision now even though it's like you said it's all over the place but there's a vision to it and it works it's it's amazing how how good the game is now uh, when you when you did all that how do you figure out the difficulty where it's not demon souls <laughs> it's not that punishing but yet even the easy levels are not easy you know you, you yeah I mean, I mean being completely honest and I, I kind of spoke to this like um the game is a lot harder than we thought it was um obviously one of the things that happened was towards the end of the development cycle we went into lockdown um, and what that meant is like we lost the ability to play the game together um and we lost the ability to do a lot of user testing and like multiplayer sessions so really, when we released the game, we kind of thought we were releasing, you know, for Toad, our middle difficulty, we thought we were releasing something that was probably like, a, you know, a, a five or a six out of 10 on the difficulty rating. Um, and it wasn't until players were engaging with it and talking to us that actually it's more like an eight out of 10. Like the game is much more difficult than we thought. Um, 
you know, part of the risk when you're making games is you get so close to it and you get such a muscle memory that you don't realize that, you know, yeah, we can do the turbo bike level that, you know, to the queen, our first level, we can do it first time, lose no lives. So kind of we in our heads go, okay, well, new players aren't going to be able to do that. So new players are probably going to take, you know, we can do it in seven minutes. They'll probably take 15 minutes, you know, with all the deaths. And then we're seeing people posting pictures of taking an hour and 45 and we're like, oh, crap. Like, OK, the game is actually much harder than we realised. Um, we never set out. Like, Battletoad difficulty was meant to be our kind of like, you know, this is our homage to the 90s. It's super difficult. Less less health, less life, less, you know, more damage. Um, but, yeah, the overall game was much, much harder than we actually expected. Um, and we didn't, re we didn't know that until people started telling us. Uh, um, just to follow up with that, though, did you guys design any Easter eggs that nobody's found yet? Oh, um, so I think a lot of stuff's been found. So obviously, you might have seen we, we made a new language, like a new alphabet, um, mm -hmm. the token language. And I've seen on our Discord, I think they've translated everything now or nearly everything. Um, so there's a few little kind of Easter eggy jokes in there. There's kind of like some foreshadowing in like the news reports. Um I'm trying to think if there's anything that hasn't been found yet. I actually think nearly everything has um, because they got pretty dedicated. Like the guys and girls on the kind of the discord, like as soon as they realized that the language was actually an alphabet, they were just on it and figuring out every single letter, number, translation they could. Um, I'll have to check with my team. I'll check with Grant, our lead designer, and see if there's anything he can think of that we snuck in that people haven't noticed. Yeah, I'll tell you one thing. One thing that I haven't seen many comments about, and I'm not going to spoil it because it is a big spoiler, is one of the very, the very, very last things you see in the game is an Easter egg. Um, and I've not seen a ton of people who have completed the game actually calling it out. Um, so, yeah, so any of you old school Battletoads players that get to the end of our game, you should notice something which is much more obvious to you than others. Well, I appreciate you not spoiling it for us. So definitely something now we, we, we all know to, to look forward to. Um, something else. I, uh, I can't remember now. Go ahead, somebody else. <laughs> I can go. Like, oh, I was yeah. just going to say real quick, Newf had a question in the chat, and you guys have probably been asked this a lot. Um, I, I sure you, I'm sure you guys get this a lot. But is there any potential um, for multiplayer co-op? Uh, yeah, the online co-op question. Um, yeah, um, look, uh, all I can tell you right now is we're not actively working on anything. So we're not actively working on online co-op for Battletoads at the moment. Um, one of our core pillars of the project when we pitched it was couch co-op. We wanted an experience where people were drawn together to play it. Um, obviously, we started this game in 2018. We had no idea how horrendous 2020 would be. Um, so, like, obviously, we didn't know what was going to happen. But what we did know was that from the point we made that a pillar, it had to come through in all our designs. So when we make a game, we will normally have three pillars. So for this, it was genre mashup, playable cartoon, and couch co-op. And that meant that every decision, every feature, every discussion, we would always bring it back to those pillars and make sure it was serving those pillars the best it could. And what this meant was that, like, you know, we could do things like the space shooter levels, the way you control those in multiplayer wouldn't work very well if there was latency because you have obviously someone flying, two people controlling the guns. 
it meant that combat was going to be a little bit faster because the scope of the project we were, we never would have been, you know, server-based. We would have always been peer-to-peer -peer we did online. So combat would have ended up a lot slower. Some of the trolling mechanics and trolling moments in the game, we probably wouldn't have done those because it's a lot easier to kind of slap your friend sitting next to you than it is to deal with somebody online who's just trying to get you wound up. Oh, um, yeah. And obviously the big thing is the game is like really 11 different games in one. Like each of those times you play a new genre, like when you play the platforming level, that's a whole new load of code. That's a whole new sounds. That's all new animations. Like it's not like they didn't necessarily inherit a lot from each other. And so kind of what that would mean now, if like, you know, ourselves or Rare or Microsoft were decided to put online in, you'd basically be trying to retrofit online into like 11 game modes that were designed to not be online. Um, and I know that sounds like excuses, but please just take it as like just brutal honesty. Like, you know, um, the game, if, if we'd planned to make the game online, we would have planned it from the start and we would have made much, much different decisions. Um, so yeah, so I'm afraid as far as I'm aware, the game is kind of a local co-op experience right now. Um, obviously for PC, you can play it on Steam Remote Play, um, and you can also play it utilizing Parsec. Um, but yeah, as it stands, we're not doing any kind of official support right now, or at least we're not working on any official support for an online co-op. So, so that's technically a, a, a game development issue versus, you know, because it was a design that way and it's not something that we just flip a switch and go like that so thank you for the clarification on that because you know i wanted to ask that but i didn't want to ask it too soon <laughs> uh, because I, i'm sure you know like you said everybody's been asking for it so in and, order and for you guys to do by the way like you know we're definitely not annoyed by the fact we keep getting asked because we take it as a compliment like there's a bunch of people that are just upset they can't play games with their friends and of course, I understand that, you know, and for a lot of people, it's because those friends are in different states or different countries. And I genuinely like, you know, I am really sorry that they can't get that experience through our game. Um, but all I can say is that, you know, if we had done it, it wouldn't necessarily be the same game and it wouldn't have necessarily been matching the vision for what we were trying to achieve. Right. It could have fallen back to the 3D version. <laughs> oh, you're going to have nightmares about that now, aren't yeah. you? Yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> So, I was, um, yeah, I was gonna oh, say, um, AJ, that the time travel idea, I totally like that idea. <laughs> so if Battletoads two ever becomes an option, I will tweet at Craig and be like, "Time <laughs> travel, time travel, time travel." <laughs> I like the wine in the chalice idea. I mean, look, you know, it's, it's definitely not the most original thing ever when I tell you that the reason I make games is because of a, a LucasArts game in the 90s about time traveling. And then my Battletoads pitch, it had time traveling in it. Like, you know, I, I obviously wasn't I wasn't soaking up my biggest creativity moments at that point in time. Yeah, I, I do want to talk a little bit about creativity because I was wondering, like, all the different mini games in the game like how did you come to those because they're like there's some that's like rock paper scissors based <laughs> uh they got like the massaging that you do all the different things like stamping uh um like pictures and stuff uh, it, it's so great but how did you come up with those because <laughs> it's just too funny um yeah great question um Look, as creative director and studio head, I get given a lot of credit, but like all the credit for this game goes to the team. Um, 
they got some of the worst briefs in the world you can imagine from me. Like sometimes I would give them the loosest briefs, the most stupid idea, and then they would actually turn it into gold. Um, so yeah, like our ideas came from everywhere, right? So we worked with amazing writers. So like our writers were like TV writers traditionally, like Tom, our lead writer, was one of the main writers for the first three seasons of Rick and Morty. Kelsey and Wade had been done things like, you know, community and kind of cartoon network shows. Um, so rather than getting them to work like a narrative designer in games, I let them write how they would for TV and then I would translate it. So sometimes the story would need support in an area. So when they wrote the story about the toads kind of, you know, and we decided we want the toads to have menial jobs, like they'd come back out into the world, they'd gone for job interviews. Um, rather than making that story beat, it just made sense that we did something stupid and we made it a little mini game. Um, and at that point, that idea goes over to Grant, our lead designer and his team. And that's when they come up with the kind of the crazy pitches. And the next thing you know, I'm playing prototypes where you're massaging an alien and you're typing on a keyboard and you're stamping autographs. Um, and then they're stupid ones. You know, I really, Toad Chambeau was a big one for me. I just wanted a stupid scissors, paper, stone game that made no sense. Um, when that game originally went in, like really right up until just after Christmas, you actually had to play that game until somebody won. But the problem was because it was like a freeway dance, you'd have so many draws that that, you know, that game that you played that takes like a minute would take sometimes 15 minutes sometimes. Like, we used to set the AI off to play each other and they would just be playing and playing and playing. Um, but that was a stupid thing I wanted. That was like a bit, you know, that was a comedy bit. Um, where the real kind of magic comes in is like Grant and his team, like Grant and Millian um, and Liam kind of coming up with the big stuff, like getting given a space shooter and their brief was just, you know, what does a space shooter look like in Delala's Battletoads? And then figuring that out. Um, and then like just the combination of talent we've got here, like we're not a studio where all the ideas just come from designers, you know, like our art team, our kind of tech team, our audio team, everyone loved making this game and put themselves into it. And so when you're playing these different genres, you're not kind of just seeing like, oh, it's, this is AJ's vision made by, you know, his team. Like, this is this is the cognitive work of a bunch of amazing people making a really, really stupid game. Um, and really what my job became a lot of the time was trying to make sure everything fit that cohesive vision, like always bringing it back to the game pillars and making sure that even though you play, you know, 11 genres across four acts, like that it all still felt like the same game. Like, oh, this really weird spaceship mini game, like this still needs to feel like it's part of the game that had the platforming level two levels ago. Um, and that's kind of what my role became. It almost became kind of translating the, the whole into kind of the vision and translating the writing and translating the game back into the writing. Um, so yeah, like, you know, we did a lot of stupid stuff. There's a lot of stupid stuff that didn't make the game. Believe it or not, we had even more stupid stuff which reached a higher level of stupidity than the stuff you've seen. Um, Can you uh, elaborate a little bit? No, Maybe yeah. give us a little bit of insight. <laughs> the favourite that didn't make it in, and like, you know, if there ever is a Battletoads 2 and this makes it in, this is a spoiler. Um, we had a okay. blind date boss battle, and uh, that was the Toads were on a game show, um, a dating Ooh. show, and there was, you know, the classic kind of like in the little booths were free potential yeah. date, and you'd ask them questions and you could judge them on their answers. Only the difference was that when you picked your date at the end, the booth went up and suddenly it was a boss and you had to fight the boss. Um, 
So like, it was a very stupid game with stupid questions where like, everything was, Grant did a really great job of making everything feel like it was a dating show. So like, like, you'd ask them, oh, what are your fears? And they talk about their fears. And what they were really doing was giving you some foreshadowing about their weak spots for if you fought them. And you'd ask them kind of, oh, where would your perfect date location be? And if they were like, oh, you know, I'm a big fan of a fan of sandy beaches, it probably meant you'd fight that person in like a desert environment. Um, so kind of what I loved about it was, it was my team was making stuff for our game that I loved in Day of the Tentacle. Like everything had logic, even if that logic was buried. Um, so yeah, Blind Date, Blind Date Boss Battle was a big favourite of ours. Um, it was just a massive undertaking and we didn't really get the chance to fully realise it to go into this. Um, but yeah, like I said, if one day we get to do Battletoads 2, who knows? You might see Blind Date Boss Battle pop up in there. Well, you oh, got my that would be for awesome. For, for two or even bonus levels. You can get some bonus levels out of that. That would be cool. It, yeah, it was, you know... We had on a blackboard in the office, we had the phrase like, does this make you say stupid game? And it wasn't an offensive thing. It was because we'd be playing it and something would happen and you just hear someone in the office go, oh, stupid game. Um, and it became our mantra like, oh, what can we do that feels good, plays well, but makes you say stupid game? Um, and I definitely think Blind Date Boss Battle would have been a, a stupid game situation. I sound like a game I would love to play because then you... you you alternate your your boss because now you have three different bosses that you don't know which one you're going to get until you learn, obviously, um, the code between all the answers and the questions. Yeah, exactly that. There's some uh, things in the chat that I want to go to real quick. Um, they're making jokes about possible sequel titles. Toads in Time, Battle Toads, <laughs> Time to Croak. Battle Toads, Toads on the Road. Um, and, you know, uh, Noof does ask if there's any potential for a sequel or if you can even mention that at this point. I'm afraid the fact that I can mention it tells you we're not making it at the moment. Um, look, you know, I love this universe. Like, I love getting to play with these toys in this kind of crazy world. Um, you know, I got such a ridiculous amount of creative freedom. Um, and when Tom and I kind of, you know, were looking at the big picture for the story, you know, we deliberately left unanswered questions and we deliberately left a lot of possibility moving forward. Um, so I can tell you for a fact that right now we're not making Battletoads 2, but that, you know, I would love to come back and do a second one in the future. Um, you know, we had a fantastic time working with Rare. You know, we've had this great on again, off again relationship with Microsoft since 2013. Um, so we've only got good feelings there. Um, but yeah, look, we we love making this game, and whilst we wouldn't necessarily want to do it straight away afterwards, because you know this this game's got to have its own chance to live, um, we would definitely love to come back and do a sequel to it. Um, and then there's more in the chat. Uh, Rice and P Roy from Twitch says he wants to let you know Battle Toads rules. <laughs> uh, Johanna says scissors, paper, stone. Excuse me, what? And Rory Jobson says, surely the speeder bike safari was the best level that didn't make it in. Oh, well, Rory's breaking NDA, so Rory's in trouble. No, so Johannes is the technical designer. So I think Johannes actually did a lot of Toad Jambo. 
and Rory is one of our environment artists. So oh, a lot of the lovely work you see in the background is Rory's work, Rory and Yonjay, who's our other environment artist. Um, but yeah, Speeder Bike Safari was, well, originally the toads kind of went back home when they got out. Um, and when they realized they were gonna go on an adventure, they were like, okay, let's get the speeder bikes. And they opened up the, their kind of garage and then one of the speeder bikes escaped and then went to live with a load of water buffalo. So we had a prototype <laughs> where you had to slowly hunt down the speeder bike amongst a herd of water buffalo. And when you eventually wrangled it, you had to jump on it and do like a beat matching game to kind of tame the wild speeder bike. Um, once again, that's the stupidity and genius that the team has here. Um, so yeah, speeder bike safari was definitely good, but I'm going to be honest, Rory, it's no blind date boss battle. <laughs> well, I'm good. I'm, I'm not going to pick any sides here. I'll take them both. <laughs> uh, Flamish, did you have anything you want to say? I, I was also thinking, like, for you personally, what was the level you hated the most? Oh, in, in our game, what, like, what's the level I hate the most? I don't hate any of them. Um, the level I find the hardest, I mean, it was... <laughs> Without giving spoilers, uh, it's a level called Nightmare Riders. Um, so it's a it's a turbo bike level in the game, um, and that mm. was the hardest for me. Like that level's like a minute and a half, and it took me. I mean, the first kind of iterations of that, it took me hours before I could actually successfully do that level. Um, it's definitely the one I struggled with the most. But honestly, like if there was anything I hated, it wouldn't have gone in the game. So like, there's not a single bit of that game I hate. Um, in fact, my favorite levels are the ones which people are universally the most mad at me because, like, Mistreated, um, which is the the bobsledding on the diplomat side level, and Emergency Stations, which is the spaceship panel. They're the ones I get the most abused for, and they are literally my two favorite levels in the game. Um, so, yeah, so that, that's kind of the difference between myself and the world, it seems. Yeah, for me, the, the diplomat level that you were talking about, that was my hardest level to, <laughs> to complete. I, I could not fathom those buttons. Like <laughs> It was too hard. Not going to get spoilers, of course. <laughs> that's another one that was a massive surprise for us. Like, you know, we actually toned that down. So what you're playing um, is 10 times easier than how that game was about two months before release. Um, but we did not see how hard it was. Um, I think part of the problem with that level is that my text on the tutorial prompt, I think some people interpret it that you have to hold the button the whole time you're grinding, but you just have to tap it. You just have to hold it until you latch on. And so I think people are standing there like trying to hold three buttons and jump. Um, so that was my fault. That was my bad tutorial writing that caused the problems there, I think. Okay. And um, oh, I forgot my question. Damn it. Okay. Okay. Uh, uh, triple? I'll go ahead. Um, now, obviously, this game wasn't optimized for the Series X or the Series S, um, and you're not going to work on it for that specifically. So, unoptimized, it's going to do some some tricks to it. Is, is do you see any real performance gain that uh, you weren't expecting from the from the Series consoles? So, so we haven't got, we've not played with the new dev kits yet, um, but though we know the game is, you know, for those people that have been trying it, Microsoft side, you know, everyone I hear who's been working on games kind of that naturally go into next gen have been getting, uh, you know, benefits out of the box. Um, for ours, 
obviously the game's already 4K, so when you play it on the One X, um, you're getting kind of real 4K there. Um, so it's not going to go any higher than 4K. But in terms of the frame rate, um, you know, we consistently hit 60 FPS on the on the One, on the One S, and the One X, um, and PC. And kind of we've seen on PC that kind of it can go higher than that if kind of you're not using VSync. So what I'm I would imagine is my the real gains you'll kind of get on the, the Series OG X and Series S are probably like an increased frame rate. The like I wouldn't be surprised if we're it's naturally hitting kind of a 120 Um But that's just an estimation. Like I haven't, like I said, I've not run it myself. I've not seen it running on those dev kits. Um, but you know, like I said, it's already 4K, so it's not going to get better than that. I'm afraid there's no 8K version. Um, but yeah, I think if anything, you're going to see benefits via the frame rate. Okay, uh, so that I'd assume also probably some HDR would uh, maybe be tweaked out a little bit too. Then um, maybe it's, it's a bit weird, right? We don't tend to use a lot of like HDR in kind of 2D stuff, just because it's such a kind of lighting-based benefit. Um, so and because with our game, there's no real lighting, so there's no kind of actual light. Everything is kind of okay. baking or trickery with kind of shaders and textures. Um, so I really think it's kind of going to, you know, it's, it's 4K, so it looks kind of crisp anyway, but I think it's going to really be kind of whatever the passive gains are with frame rate that you'll see. So they'll probably just turn it off then because it probably won't give you the benefit that we'd assume like uh, Fusion Frenzy would have. Yeah, yeah. So that's what we did with this, right? We turned off HDR basically before we exported it. Okay, so one question has nothing at all to do with the game. Why does the Lala Studios only have 4,896 followers? <laughs> I think we had like a, a, a thousand when the game was announced this year. Um, yeah, I mean, look, you know, it's, we have a, a strange little studio, right? You know, the way I describe it is before Battletoads, we existed for eight years without success. Um, you know, but being alive for that long is the success for us. You know, we've never made layoffs or anything like that. Um, and what we tend to have done is, you know, we've done lots of little work for other people. So, you know, we did a load of stuff for Team 17, oh, we helped on But wow. our own games have never been, like, groundbreaking because a lot of them never saw the light of day. Um, so before Battletoads, like, the last actual Delala game was Overruled, which, you know, five of us made in the garage with no money. And it's a very ugly-looking game um, that I'm very, very proud of. Um, so really, kind of, Battletoads was our thing to kind of put us out there and to start getting the Dalala name out there so that people really know what we stand for. Um, and it's part of the reason I'm so grateful with the way that Rare and Microsoft kind of handled it. So like our, I mean, his official job role was uh, external relationships manager, a guy called Paul Cunningham at Rare, um, but he was kind of like our external producer. He really fought for us to kind of, you know, he's a big part of the reason that when the game got announced with a date this year, it says like a Dalala Studios game, um, you know, and that's thanks to him that we now get that recognition that that Rare and MS kind of acknowledge that this was the game that, you know, Delala designed it, Delala built it. Um, and, you know, Rare were awesome and it was great to have kind of a partner like them, but they're giving us the credit for the work we did, which is, you know, we, we made this whole thing from start to finish. Um, so we only have a handful of followers at the moment, but hopefully, you know, Battletoad brings us some more in. And then, you know, when we get to announce the next thing, hopefully we can start bringing in some more of those Battletoads fans to kind of engage with what we're doing in the future. And if I recall, I know you can't say nothing, but you are working on something. Yes, yes. So we are working on something. Very, very, very early days. Like, in fact, day six of that new thing. Um, 
and I don't know when I'll be able to talk about it. Um, as you saw with Battletoads, kind of we announced and then we were quiet for a year and then we showed some stuff and then we were quiet for a year and then the game came out. Um, you know, that's kind of the way with studios our size, working with bigger companies. Um, but, you know, as soon as we can speak about it, you'll, you'll hear us shouting from the rooftops. Well, shouting as much as we can from the rooftops without breaching NDA. Uh, we'll, we will be passing it along for you too. We, we, we can't wait to see what you guys got going. Uh, the other thing is, can you kind of see that you're talking about this is day six. Can you kind of break down how it kind of goes in the industry from conception to finish? I mean, you know, just just a quick summary so we can understand, you know, how the process is. Because we always know, you know, you've got the, your ideas, you got your vision, but how does it like transition? Oh boy. yeah, this is gonna be. Yeah, I mean, great question, and like it really varies not just studio to studio, but game to game. So you know, some of the lessons we learned on Battletoads was kind of too much of the time during production we were still figuring out questions that we should have had answered earlier, and so we kind of it meant that we lost really important iteration time because we were kind of going down routes that should have been explored earlier in the process. So. When we came to do the new game, it was important for us we got a large amount of pre-production. So what pre-production is, at least the definition for us at Dalala and in, in our industry, is that this is the time where we're experimenting with the vision. Like We know kind of the big picture that we're trying to achieve. We know our game pillars. But what we're doing now is, you know, we're playing with character designs. We're doing prototypes, um, which, you know, are, are kind of little throwaway version, playable bits of the game that we can test stuff out. Um, and so what it means is if we've got a game and that game's going to end up with 10 mechanics, you know, we're probably going to try out 30, 40 different things, trying to figure out what feels the best and how we build on it. Um, and so kind of that's that's the pre-production phase. And for us, the goal for that is by the end of pre-production, we have, you know, what is a vertical slice? A very small sliver of, you know, an example that we could point to and say, this is what our game will play, sound, feel, and look like. Um, and then for us, we go into production. So production is really the making of it. So this is where our processes get a little bit more rigid. We start working in like two-week sprints that are very kind of structured and planned out. And it's all about executing on the lessons we've learned during pre-production. Um, and there'll be iteration. There'll be stuff we thought we knew, and then we get to it, and actually, you know what? Like, this worked... This worked in pre-production, but actually now in the big picture, this doesn't. Um, but really the goal of that point is kind of, okay, well, let, let's make the game. And that's what the majority of the time in a development cycle is, is, is production. Um, at the end of that, we get into the post-production, which for us um, is really like polish. So obviously while we're bug fixing, we're also adding, you know, little bits of VFX we might have not got to do, or we might discover, oh, you know what, we've got, We've got an extra few weeks of animation time because we came in early. How about we do some classic 90s style idle interrupts? Um, or maybe we go back to kind of audio sounds we would have loved to get a second chance on to punch up. Um, and then once that's done and we lock the build, it is all really then, okay, well, let's take out the priority one and two bugs, the really big ones. Like Let's, pri let's prioritize those and try to get as many of those tackled as we can before we submit to certification. And certification is like the last step. This is where we send the game off to the platform holders. So whether that is, you know, Xbox, PlayStation, Nintendo, um, we make sure that we tick all the rules that we need to tick. They get the game, they test it for, you know, one week, two weeks. 
And if that gets the thumbs up, that's when the game is called gold. That's when the game has gone gold and it's ready to ship. And at that point, for us, it's never, I'm afraid, a literal disc because we do digital. Um, but that's when the game is ready to kind of go out to you wonderful people. Um, and at that point, it kind of gets uploaded where it needs to get uploaded. And we just kind of put the final preparation in place with our publisher or partner to, to get the game out to the world. That's uh, Thank you. Now, uh, as a follow-up to that, when you after this is done what's the downtime like for the next before the next step you know the the next game uh, what is that I, I know it's a lot of relief a lot of stress once you guys go gold but uh it's usually not a let's all go party let's all vacation <laughs> but uh obviously i'd assume that you guys are already in the works for the next game or next project already but once that bulk stresses off of you how does how does that factor in with with the whole studio yes yeah, so um you know we are in a lot of ways we're very lucky we're a studio that works on some incredible games right like battletoads is an amazing ip for a little shop in essex you know the middle of nowhere almost to get to work on um one of the downsides of us being this type of studio is you know we often live project to project because the work we're doing is technically classified as work for hire like we get paid a nice amount of money to make a game, but we don't necessarily make profit on that game or like revenue points. Um, so what that means is, oh, whilst we don't boy, go okay. bankrupt the second the game is finished, um, we don't get the opportunity to take months of time off. So for Battletoads, uh, the majority of the team had two weeks. So the game finished. Um, they had two weeks. They came back the week that the game was kind of launching. Um, for the leadership team, uh, some of them got a week. Uh, some of us didn't get any time, so some of us haven't taken any time off since Battletoads was finished. Um, they kind of they came back. Then a chunk of the team have kind of been doing like refresher work. So this is kind of like okay, well let's do a little bit of work to get us associated with the new versions of the software we're using. Let's figure out kind of uh, folder structures and the stuff that we want to do. And then for some of the rest of us, kind of. We were working on the new game, like the concept for the new game, like within a kind of week or so of, of Battletoads being finished. So kind of we were working on kind of what is what is that high level kind of vision for this game? Um, so, yeah, we don't really get there wasn't really a break um, and we've never really had a break except for in 2016 when one of our projects got cancelled. Um, you know, it, we had a very small break of oh we haven't got a game to work on but no one took any time off you know we offered the team some time off and everyone just wanted to kind of get on do game jams um so yeah and, and that's not the norm right it's just the position we're in a studio of 23 24 people working on these projects we don't we're not financially able to kind of give everyone a couple of months off um we have to get on with the next thing okay thank you uh anybody else i don't want to take up all the questions oh that's right if i'm sure anything that you want to say <laughs> Um, no, not at the moment. Maybe I'll think of something just a little bit later. <laughs> okay. Okay. I got something Ow! I want to ask you about. Damn. Um, so many I was watching a couple of uh, my friends um, on Twitter and YouTube, and I mean, some of them are influencers, and I saw that they got this really cool, um, like, Battletoads launch pack is like a little box. That retro cassette tape <laughs> looks awesome. Um, who thought of that? Was that you guys or was that like Microsoft marketing? 
so that's rare that's rare branding guys so rare branding guys and girls um were brilliant with that um one of the big advantages of working with a company like that is you know we could never afford you know we could never afford to make those for Come the on, team let alone to send them out to influencers um so what it was is kind of they figured out a few things they thought would be funny like you know they had the driver's license or the rental agreement license in there um the, the tape and then they worked with us to execute it. So kind of like we did the designs for kind of like some of the stickers, for the license, oh boy. Um, the things you'll see in there. But kind of they took our artwork and made it into that awesome pop-out box. And they worked with our composer, Dave, to kind of get kind of the tracks and some images and gameplay footage onto that secret USB cassette thing. Um, so yeah, like that's really their brainchild and we just kind of helped them execute it with kind of assets. Yeah, that would, I mean, that was awesome. Um, that cassette tape, I was like, oh man, I was hoping Rare had an extra one. I'd buy it <laughs> yeah. if it had one. I was um, jealous too when I saw them open. I was like, I don't care how silly some of these guys say this is. I kind of want that. It, it was it was great. It was so perfect because, you know, it's there we go. it was that Fire. irrelevant 90s style stuff that has no place in the modern world, but kind of through a new lens and it had enough little bits in there that was stupid that kind of reflected the tone of the game so kind of yeah like i really think that was that was one of the areas they really got spot on so they they came at you and they said here's the fanny pack you all look at the board and said is it stupid yes yeah. put it in that's exactly it that is exactly it <laughs> so um I'm, can i can i switch over back to the sound design because you were talking about sound in, in earlier um when you guys figure out the audio where do you i mean i'm trying to think because I, I i've done some movies and you know with with the sound system uh, not system but the setup that they have um do you guys how do you guys figure out your sounds for your characters uh i obviously i've listened before from another interview about the voices each each one is a person for the most part uh but for the audio when it comes to you're drawing you're drawing the kitchen sink and all in the, the music and, and trying to get all that together how does that plan out seeing that you're the one that's choreographing everything audio video and everything yeah i mean um audio design is fantastic right and that was a big area that rare helped out with um we had an initial team on the project and they didn't work out um and we got very lucky in that um we got basically given some time with one of rare's audio directors like a guy called john vincent um who was fantastic and kind of he instantly got the vision that we were trying to achieve um and like you know with the game pillars like all the departments also have their own kind of pillars and their hero kind of targets they're going for and so with the sound the big thing for us was okay it needs to it needs to reflect the cartoony feel of the game but it also needs to be a little element of realism to it to provide the right juxtaposition like you know rashi's chicken arm volley is really funny and it's got that great and the little squeak to it but like if it didn't have any fud any oomph like it would just feel stupid and it just feel like a joke and it wouldn't feel like a powerful move um so with audio the real balance there was that it was okay well how do we ride this line between you know looney tunes city symphony kind of influence of cartoons but bring in kind of that heavy hitting kind of you know especially for combat that like heavy hitting combat feel um and so that was the real challenge they had and a lot of the time when we were kind of iterating and doing feedback it was it was taking that balance and kind of moving it and it was figuring out where it needed to be you know yes rash's chicken arm is really funny 
but that squeak happening every time got really irritating. So we downed that and we put kind of, okay, well, let's bring these elements of the sound in only once every five times that you hear it. Um, and so that really kind of became what a lot of the work was for the sound. It was, you know, our audible kind of adventure for the Battletoad wasn't just this pure playable cartoon. It was a playable cartoon that also had this little bit of realism sat behind it. Okay. Thank you. Um, anybody else before I keep yeah. taking my I've got the I got maybe one question and I'm, I'm really interesting to know uh, who's your favorite character of the oh. That's a great question and I've been asked it before and I don't think I ever give the same answer. Um <laughs> I think from a comedy perspective it's Zitz. Um I absolutely love how Ryan Ridley played Zitz in our game. Um and that character was written for Ryan, so kind of it's just so on point for me. Like, it's just so funny because it is like you meet him and it is like it's a blown up cartoon version of how Ryan is. Um, so I think kind of from that perspective, it's Zitz. And also from combat, it's Zitz. Uh, but I also think that Pimple just has some amazing moments in the game. Like, you know, Pimple has a really awesome journey in terms of a character. And I love the platforming levels, which are all, you know, Pimple focused. Um, but... If I had to pick my all-time favorite character from our game, it's Holiday Toy, the stupid little red toy that you play as in a couple of levels. Um, I absolutely love him. Like, I just love him. I think he is such a stupid character. He's so funny. And for me, he's like the embodiment of Delala. He's just this, something is definitely wrong with him, but you still love him and you still want to play as him. And that's kind of how I feel about us. Um, so, yeah. That is a, a cheating answer because I've said three things, but yeah, like holiday is my all, all my all time favorite out of everything we did. It's actually cool to hear your, like your perspective on like all the characters all together. Then, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I love I love it. Like you know, honestly, I love them all. Um, and that's not to take away from anyone because like um, our Dark Queen, I absolutely adore what we did with the Dark Queen. You know, the way we kind of treat her in the story, and also Siobhan's kind of approach to her, where like we've got these very American toads and then this very very british dq um and i think that that's another great juxtaposition kind of how they play off of each other but yeah there, there's you know there's not a character in this game i don't love from everyone through from zitz pimple and bash to julie satin rings to glorp to you know the construction worker like yeah i love it all hey, you love the whole game basically i mean it's your basically your game um i mean so <laughs> yeah yeah there's no like you know i said this to the team like on launch day like you you look you launch a game and you look at all the things you could have done better and all the things that went wrong and you live with the regrets and it's a big part of the reason why a lot of us don't play our games when they come out for a very long time because all you see is the things you can't fix now um but i honestly have no like i've got no regrets about the game that came out like i don't look at it and go i wish i'd done this i wish i'd done that like I have things I remember. I'm like, oh my God, like I wasted so much time when I made this decision that I went back on. But like when I look at the final product, there's nothing that makes me sit here and go, oh, if only we'd done that differently. Like I genuinely love what we made. And the only reason I'm not playing it now is because I literally have played that game start to finish hundreds of times. Like in the last couple of months, whenever we did a new build, my paranoia kicked in and i'd have to play the whole game again start to finish to make sure it was okay um so i think maybe by christmas maybe over christmas break i'll go back and i'll play the game again 
but yeah, I have I have zero regrets. So I absolutely adore everything about this game. And and more to the point, I adore the people that made it. Like, you know, I'm eternally grateful to my team and what they did. Um, and I'm just so, so proud of them. Um, we had some questions in the chat. I'm sorry, my dog was barking, but I just want to make sure you guys didn't hear that. I muted no, no. my mic as soon we, as possible. We didn't hear that. So. Okay. Um Mr. Pong Young in the chat says that he was wondering about the music during gameplay. He loves the metal songs and likes how they kind of contrast to the silly comedic tone of the cutscenes. Was this an intentional design choice? 100%. Um, you've heard me say a couple of times in the, like, the last 20 minutes the word juxtaposition. Um, the biggest proponent of juxtaposition for our game was Dave Housden, our composer. Like. Dave's a, an amazing composer. He's done some fantastic stuff for games like Thomas Was Alone and Cube 2. Um, and he's more known for his big emotional epic kind of orchestral stuff. Um, but part of the reason I know Dave is because he used to be in a pop punk band with me and Grant, the lead designer. So like, I know he can do the full band stuff. Um, and there wasn't a selection of composers when we got this game. There was only one target on my list and that was Dave. Um, to kind of, when we spoke about the game, we knew like, as silly as it sounds, like our kind of target piece for this game was the original theme song to the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, that over-the-top hair metal background with just solos that just went on forever and was so showy off that it didn't need to be. Um, and kind of for Dave, kind of when I said about this, like a big thing he pushed was, yeah, like, okay, like, let's make sure the music has an element of tongue-in-cheek to it, but let's provide a soundtrack which gives a juxtaposition to those visuals. Like, let's have a soundtrack that is this over-the-top metal that kind of, it fits the game perfectly and it feels like a natural evolution from the 90s, but that it plays off of that vision. Like, let's let the game be silly, cartoony, and that that's that version of over-the-top, and then let's let the music be kind of like, this is actually a really great, stupid hair metal album. Um, and so it was really Dave that kind of pushed for us to have that juxtaposition. I'm being asked by... Uh... I'm going to screw it up. Johannes? Yeah, that's Johannes. He's one of the ones that work for me. What's he saying? He wants to know how Hugo's doing. <laughs> so Hugo is the chief dog officer. So Hugo's my little pug um, who oh. usually comes to work every day. He's good. He misses everyone because everyone's in lockdown. Um, he's at home with Harry. She's looking after him at the moment. Um, but he's very, very good. And he just he wants everyone back at the office so he can come to play again. Oh, so we get no uh, Hugo vision right now. No, I'm sorry. If I realized it was going to be video, I would have brought him with me and then he would have shown you him. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, uh, seeing that you did have characters, would you theoretically on the Battletoads 2, could we see a code... That maybe would give us a lifelike battle toad, just you know, for you know, giggles or like a master chief, or you know, like they did with Fable, like a crossover. <laughs> I mean, look, there's a lot. I mean, there was a lot of characters I wanted to get into this one from other franchises. Um, the problem is, it's not always that simple. Like, I mean, look, I would have loved Banjo and Kazooie in this game, but I think there's a lot of people that are much happier that they got Banjo and Kazooie in Smash Bros. Um, so. Yeah, like, look, there's definitely crossovers we'd love to do. Um, you know, there's lots, of, there's so many good rare IPs we'd love to see in there. You know, there's friends as well. Like, I'd love to see, like, Toe Jam and Earl and the Toads meet up. Like, I think that would be a really awesome combination. Um, 
The problem is, is, you know, when you're dealing with games like this for IPs that are as well known and owned by big companies, that it's never as easy as when it's your little cell phone indie stuff where you call up your mate and you say, hey, do you want, can I put your character in my game? And he goes, yeah, sure. Um, it becomes lawyers and contracts and all the non-fun side of things. Um, so whilst I'm not saying it's not going to happen, like I think for if Battletoads 2 was to ever take place, I think I'd probably need to start thinking about who, what, when, very, very soon, so that we could get some paperwork kicked off. Um, but yeah, there's loads of characters I'd love to see do. I mean, look, I'd love to see Battletoads Double Dragon happen again, right? Right. Well, we were thinking, uh, you know, maybe another Killer Instinct with Battletoads. And just have the Killer Instinct in Battletoads, not the other way. I mean, look, I love the combat in our game. I'm super proud of the combat, but like those guys know what they are doing when it comes to beat em ups, right? Like they did a fantastic job on making a, an engaging beat em up. Um, you definitely don't want me to be ruining that. In fact, I'm pretty sure somebody on Twitter told me they're glad I'm not making Killer Instinct. So, <laughs> you know, That's I gotta be honest with you. AJ, if you guys made a Killer Instinct, I think it would be awesome with this art style. I'm not going to lie. I would like something like this. Um, I mean, I like the original Street Fighter 2 design, like, you know, that 2D cartoonish style. So I would like a cartoonish 3D fighter if you guys ever uh, did pop one out. Um, I'm sorry for cutting my webcam off. My dog is getting really excited. We have someone here fixing the water heater so he's just uh, a little ab above himself today um well i wanted to ask you another question aj um yeah. do you see and maybe you can't answer this i don't know but do you see your studio delilah studios putting more stuff into game pass in the future or working with microsoft on different projects i mean i'd love to honestly i would love to um I think Game Pass is perfect for studios our size. I think it's really great in terms of the right audience, finding us a new audience, and also giving us a delivery system to existing audience. Um, so, yeah, I, I really hope we do see more of our stuff in the future on Game Pass. Um, and, yeah, you know, I'd love to work with Microsoft and Rare again, um, you know, whether it's Microsoft and Rare or Microsoft or Rare. Um, yeah, like, you know, we have left this on really great terms. I still speak to kind of... The two pools every day, basically, um, even though the project's finished. Um, Craig was a friend, will continue to be a friend and very, very important part of, you know, Delala's history and future moving forward. Um, so, yeah, you know, it's very easy to kind of go on the net and see all the bad things everyone says about each other. But I, I've literally, you know, I can only gush with kind of happiness with kind of how things worked out. And I would love to think that one day you'll get to see another Delala Studios game that has, you know, Xbox Game Studios written before it. So um, who do I need? Who do I need to talk to? I'm sorry, uh, but who do I need to talk to to get an actual Battletoads cartoon? Because I want to get the <laughs> DVD and put it right next oh, to my yeah. Earthworm Jim DVD. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to see it more than any no one in this world wants to see them take what we did and turn it into a cartoon more than me. Um, you know, I think you know all you can do is you can reach out to your you know your Craig Duncan's, your Phil Spencers, and your Aaron Greenberg's, and just let them know kind of. You loved what we did with the characters. You loved the cutscenes and the story, and, and you'd like to see more of that. Um, if I if I keep doing that, they're gonna block me. <laughs> that's, that's the gamble. That's you know that's the gamble. Maybe you'll get blocked. Maybe you'll get the cartoon. Like which way will it go? Who knows? You can always start one of those online petitions, Dreadful, that people do. Oh yeah. yes, that's true. Uh, 
Um, I was going to say on top of that, what Dreadpool said is that at the very least, I would love to see a Battletoads comic book with your artists, your animators, because that art style is perfect for something <laughs> like that. I mean, we, this art style, and, and I don't know what goes into this kind of art style, but it reminds me similar to like what we see in uh, Teen Titans today. I just love that kind of art style. For me, for some reason, I, I think it's called Cal Arts. Uh, maybe I'm saying it wrong, but that art style, I just love it. Um, it just appeals to the kid inside of me and remembering all the cartoons I used to watch. And we see comic books of, um, we saw, uh, Sea of Thieves comic books. We saw God of War. We saw, uh, Gears of War, but we haven't seen Battletoads. And I, you know what I'm going to do, AJ, I'm going to reach out and I'm going to message Greenberg and Phil Spencer. I'm going to message everybody and be like, Please, we need at least the Battletoads comic book. Even if you had to work with Dark Horse or somebody else to make it happen, just make it happen. Because I think that, you know, this type of comic book, even if it's a limited series like one through five, I think it would sell pretty well, to be honest with you. Um, those comic book, video game comic books do relatively well and they sell out fast. Um, just for example, getting Bloodborne at my local comic store was almost impossible same with the dark souls comic book because the fans of the video game loved comic books and they already pre-ordered every copy that was going on the shelf <laughs> so i i think that's something that would be fantastic do you guys have any plans to come out with like uh a battle toad art book or anything like that or work with rare and something like that well so first of all although we didn't make it you will be happy to hear that i think at the end of this month it's digital only, but there is a Battletoads comic coming out. Um, yes! Yes! It's, be, I think it's, a, it's a limited run. It's a few issues. Um, we didn't make it, but I believe that Rare partnered with, um, I think it's Dark Horse or somebody like that. Um, we've, you know, a great writer, great artists. So, you know, it's, whilst it isn't done by our hand and written by our pen, it's based on the characters we've made and it's based on our art style. So I think the first issue is free download. And I think I saw that it's been pushed to the end of this month. Um, so yeah, you don't have much longer to wait until you can get that one ticked off. Um, and yeah, in terms of an art book, it's something we would love to see. Um, it's definitely conversations we've had. Um, and you know, with a lot of this stuff, it just comes down to timing. So, um, whilst I can't sit here and confirm that there's definitely an art book coming out, um, I can say that I wouldn't be very surprised if we were to see one. Um, is there anything else um, that you guys, like, like for the Battletoads game itself that you guys produced and developed, um, is there any other items that we might see coming out on store shelves? Any types of toys or stuffed animals or any type of merchandising? So uh, for all the good side of things working with big companies, one of the bad side of things is technically they don't actually have to tell me anything. Um, I didn't actually find out we were launching on xcloud until the press release went out the night before um because it's you know it's, it's not my game it's owned by microsoft it's owned by rare um what i will say is is they've got a very very active branding department um who are always looking for kind of the best possible partnerships for ip and like as you've seen with sea of Thieves, they've done stuff like you know they've done plushies and shirts and action figures um and so you know battle toads has been a success um and i wouldn't be surprised if we see more of that uh, I might be queuing up to buy it myself in the shops before I actually know it's coming out. So I can't give you any confirmation, but I definitely know that, you know, 
they're very, very, very big on honouring their IP, especially stuff that's kind of prevalent now. So I would really, really hope to see kind of some some new Battletoads action figures. You know, I'd love to have Rash Zitz, Pimple and DQ standing next to my Earthworm Jim figure. So, Do you oh, have a green I... one? Oh, what's that, sorry? Do you have the green one? The green one? Yes, I've got the Earthworm Jim figure with the green belt uh, suspenders. No, I got like the newest round of them they did about 10 years ago. But what I have got is an animation director whose first job was cleaning up the line work on Earthworm Jim 1 and 2. So he may not be a figure, but the guy who was the animation director on Battletoads and kind of I shipped over from America to live in Essex, his very first job was cleaning up all the line work on the animations for Jim 1 and 2. Nice. Oh, nice. Um, yeah. I... I did want to go back and ask you this because I know that you said that you do draw like the, the pig's head um, <laughs> in Battletoads. Is that the pig's head uh, that I'm watching now? Is that like something that you worked on? No, no, no. It's definitely like if I could draw pork shank, I'd be a lot happier. Like my pig's head is horrific. It is literally like four circles and two triangles for ears. Um, and I think even saying that I draw it is an insult to my artists. But yeah, like I wish I could draw pork shank, but I'm afraid not. Um, and then, oh, I had one more question and it slipped my tongue. Famish, do you have questions? Any questions? I'm trying to, but it's a little bit hard. Like I'm just I think so he's much nervous. He's <laughs> no, it's not nervous. I'll, I'll it's like combat. <laughs> Well, I don't know about you guys, but I'll, I'll take the pig's head drawn by AJ with the signature <laughs> underneath it. No problem. <laughs> Send it to America. I'll take it. I'll frame I it. That. I will do that for you. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, no shame here. <laughs> that Yeah, okay. So I remember the question I was going to ask you now. Um, and forgive me if this was answered before while my dog was uh, a little active <laughs> not that long ago. Um, the artists and the animators and the voice actors, um, were they, were they all chosen like outside of the studio? Was it mixed? How did you, if they, if you did choose any outside of the studio, um, what did you look for? Was it like through art schools or through maybe schools that were teaching those courses? Yeah, great question. So um, we've got a core team. So look, there's a core team of 23, 24 of us in-house. Um, so the majority of the environment stuff you saw in the game was done by Rory and Yonjay, who are like our two environment artists. Um, you know, and it's very easy for us to kind of speak to how um, awesome it was from the tech and design departments to do all those different genres. But like the visual feel of all those different levels was such a big mixture as well. Um, so I think they're really like the unsung heroes when it comes to the genre mashup stuff. So the majority of stuff you see in the backgrounds of our levels and kind of the set piece props and stuff is Rory and Yon Jay. And then we partnered with kind of, we had contract help from great artists called Paul Cartwright, who's former Rare. So a guy at Rare introduced us to him, kind of we gave him a trial. Um, and then also a guy called Dave Hankin. So Dave's another kind of, he's been in the games industry a while. He did Swords of Ditto. So kind of that was like the environment team was like a, almost a half and half, but a large portion of the work took place from Rory and Yonjay. Um, in terms of characters, um, oh, you guys will like this. So the initial Toad designs and Dark Queen design was Mike Dietz. So Mike was the animation director on 
uh, Cool Spot, Jungle Book, Earthworm Jim 1, Earthworm Jim 2. Um, so Mike kind of worked with us to do the initial character designs. Um, and then every other character in the game is basically done by Lucy. So Lucy was our character designer, our lead character designer on Battletoads. She's actually art director now at the studio with us for our future titles. Um, and then animation-wise, so our animation director, Eric, and then in-house, we've got an animator called India. So we got India fresh out of university. Like, I think she graduated, and then she was here two weeks later. So they did a lot of – they basically did all the Toad stuff. Like nearly every Toad animation was done by those two. Um, you know, India especially did all the pimple stuff. So when you're seeing kind of the big bruise of pimple, that's like India's work fresh out of university. Um, and then we worked with an amazing kind of partner studio in Bristol called Rumpus. So Rumpus is a little small shop. Like, you know, I think there were two or three people when we worked with them. There's like five or six now. Um, fantastic kind of like TV animators. And we kind of trained them up on like how to do game animation. Um, so some great people there like Luke, Marta, Gabby, I'm trying to not forget anyone, Tony, Bear, um, some fantastic animators there. Um, and then, yeah, so kind of that kind of feel where we kind of had these trusted partners and that's people we've worked with in the industry, we've worked with on other titles, we know as individuals. Um, and then the voice actors. Um, so uh, with Zitz, who was Ryan Ridley, and Rash, who was Eric Bowser. So Ridley had worked with Tom, our writer, back in the Channel 101 days and on Rick and Morty. Uh, Eric had been Channel 101, and Eric is actually the current voice of, like, Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck, Tweety Pie. I think he was, I think he was Splinter in one of the incarnations of the Turtles. Um, you know, I think he's Bugs in Space Jam, the new Space Jam that's coming out. So, like, Eric's awesome, a great VO actor. And then kind of Pimple was an actor called e Echo Kellum. So... Pimple was the one out of the Toads that we didn't have a personal connection to, but like I was just a massive fan of his voice. So he was Curtis in CW's Arrow TV show. Um, and he just, I loved his voice in that. And he was the perfect voice for us that we wanted. Um, so we approached him by agents and there's always worry, you know, when you're dealing with agents and Hollywood, like what are they going to be like? Um, and he turned up in his first day and I remember he had a, a nerdy game related jumper on and he was just, awesome and he loved it he was so excited he was getting to be in kind of a, the Battletoads video game and he was brilliant um and then Dark Queen was Siobhan who we we cast via um a company called Side in the UK and originally the Dark Queen was going to be American so we'd always I'd always imagined an American voice for her and on one of her takes she just used her normal voice like a slightly character caricature version of her normal voice and just absolutely loved it like loved the idea of this really well-spoken british dark queen um so we ended up going with her um and then also this amazing actress called uh, kosher engler who did hundreds of voices in the game so kosher was uh judy satin ring she was the boring podcast host she was one of the voices when you're inside um or back giving spoilers she's one of the voices who's part of the cloud i think kosher did like 15 voices for the game um and she was once again found through a casting agency um, and she was just brilliant. Like, you know, I booked her for an hour towards the end of the project after we'd already, like we added more, we did more Julie Satin rings in the end because she did such a good version. Like we loved her and brought the character back. Um, and then she got through her Julie Satin rings lines, like one take. And I was like, oh, I've got, I've got this other character. Would you mind doing that voice? And that just kept happening. And like by the end of this hour, she'd been like, I think she was the lumberjack leaders, her as well. Um, 
so yeah we just had like all these amazing people that either had a personal connection to the studio or the writers or like we found them through trusted partners and they just gave it everything like everyone who worked on this game everyone who was part of like the finishing team for this game like when when we finished it and we started looking at what's next we had this amazing thing where the conversations we were having were like how do we bring these people back oh and Alex, or a guy called Alex, who's a VFX animator, I want to make sure he gets credit. So I think we were Alex's second game. Um, his first was sort of Ditto with Dave, um, Dave Hankin. Um, so Alex came on, worked with our VFX artist, Roberto, and basically like all the animated VFX you see, all the kind of like uh, the hand-drawn frame stuff, that's, that's all Alex. Um, and he was just amazing. Like the combination of him and Roberto was just fantastic. Um, oh. Well, I'm going, I know I'm name dropping everyone. Uh, Karem, so Karem's our UI UX director. So I, we worked with Karem in 2013 when we were incubated at Microsoft. And then he's done every, he basically worked for free for us for years while he was doing his full-time job, like just helping us out consulting. And then when we kind of got the position to help out on Sea of Thieves, I finally stole him away from Microsoft, ironically to contract for us on a Microsoft game. Um, and he's been contracting with us since. So Karem has been like a full timer. We the reason I didn't think of him is because he's full in our eyes, he's full time, even though he's contract. Um, but like, yeah, Karem and Liam, who's now a full time designer, was originally our UI programmer. Like they did all the UI, all the UX. Um, emergency stations, one of my favorite levels. I basically gave them a brief where I was like, hey, I want a load of mini games that's more fun when you're in the room and the spaceships crash in, and I want it to be weird because you don't know what's going on. And then two weeks later, we had emergency stations, which was my favorite. One of my favorite levels was Craig Duncan's favorite levels. Um, so, yeah, like, look, everyone on this game was amazing. Everyone gave it their all. A bunch of people who, you know, especially the contractors, well, everyone on this team could have just turned around and worked nine till half five. And that was it. They all put in extra hours. They all worked weekends. Like everyone worked together to make this game awesome. And it's like. There's no one I sit here and I think of as a contractor. I think of like them as they were part of our they were part of our journey. They were no different to anyone else. And I can't wait to, you know, have the money to be able to bring them back for the next thing we're doing. That's awesome. And and actually as you can see, the game is just bleeding passion. It's bleeding like the personality. Uh for me personally, like it made me feel happy. I had never played the old Battletoad game, so I don't know how they were. <laughs> but like playing this game, I actually still trying to like uh, go back into the old ones. I still want to try those. Especially now I talked to you and heard like all the stuff you were uh, talking about, how the old games and how you grew into the this Battletoads game. It really makes me go anxious to actually play the old games. <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> It's really something like hearing all these uh, answers that you give us. Um, really appreciate it. So no, well, thank you. No, no, it's great, and it's great getting to talk about this, and it's it's great getting a chance to talk about the people that did the hard work. You know, which is the team. It's a uh, yeah. it's very easy for me to come on these shows and get to talk to awesome people like you. But the reason I get to do that is because the team made an awesome game, and they're busy making the next awesome game. Um, and it gives me the freedom to come and have these conversations. That's awesome to hear. I know we're getting at the hour and a half mark, and I don't want to bore you because um, I know sitting down for so long sometimes could be uh, tough. Um, Dreadpool, did you have any final questions? 
Oops, I was muted. Well, now now that you have a connection with Dreadpool, uh, you know, wink, wink, hit me up. Uh, I'll do some voiceover or something. Keep, keep an eye. I'll put something on Twitter next time that we're going to need some stuff and definitely throw it in there. Like, you know, you know, it's for me, it doesn't matter where that voice comes from and who, how we know it. If it's an awesome voice, I've got no issues with it. Hey, uh, same, same for me, AJ, you know, uh, I just want to be in a video game just once, even if it's like a two second line of something ridiculous. Um, no I, I, I think, uh, let, let's say we, I think we all want to be in the video <laughs> games someday, yeah. um, especially also me. So, <laughs> and I'm, look, AJ, I, I, my, my voice is in Battletoads for two seconds and I regret that. There's the regret. I wish I. I wish I'd really? replaced my voice with someone else, but the writer Tom insisted. Yes, when there's a bit in Act Three, Act Three, yeah, Act Three, when you see a jogger and he bumps into Pimple and he says, "Move it, Chunky," and it's me. And I really, really wanted to get someone else to do that line, but our writer Tom insisted that I kept me in for it just so that I was in the game. So, so AJ, I'm sorry I, I started something. I'm sure the next <laughs> interviews will be the same thing. So I hear you're auditioning for voice. <laughs> <laughs> so, but no, I, I really appreciate you taking the time. Um, thank you for answering uh, just everything that we've thrown at you. You know, uh, it's just, you never know what to expect with, with, the, with our questions and we never know what to expect with your answers. And they were definitely interesting and entertaining and, and very informative. So I appreciate your time for it with us. No, no, no worries. Thank you very much for having me. And yeah, it, you know, I really enjoyed it. There've been some really interesting questions. There's been quite a few that, you know, I haven't been asked. Um, and that's always nice. And, you know, one of the one of the best things, and I think I said it on Twitter the other day, you know, one of the best things about this game launching is like the last few weeks, I've got to chat to awesome people like yourselves and kind of, you know, just have a conversation about the game rather than answering the same kind of four press quotes over and over again. Yeah, like I said, I, I've actually listened to um the uh, original I'm sorry I'm going to screw it up now the original next level uh interview that you did on Thursday so I knew certain things and I didn't want to like keep asking the same thing so I had the advantage there to come up with something different because I'm sure just like they have we have also asked the same questions that others have too so I was trying to give you some creativity with with our questions to be different and and not you know another boring same old question yeah. no and it well, wasn't at all and look i don't have any problem answering the same questions because it's a conversation and it's no different to if you guys came up to me at a bar and you were talking about what i do and you asked these questions like you know i'm not going to sit here and complain about the fact that i get to talk to new people about making a game of my dreams like you know even if i get asked the same one question for the rest of my life i'll still happily answer it Oh, and, and more importantly, here's an example of the pig. Yes. Nice. Yes, that, that is awesome. Awesome. You need, <laughs> I need to get a poster of that and just hang it up on my wall <laughs> next to like Borderlands Three. Um, See, yeah, I'm hey, getting the I, autograph I, version. I <laughs> wanted to say one thing, and I do think I, I don't know if you guys agree, but clowns, how you are playing this game, you're not smiling enough. You need to smile more like me. <laughs> oh yeah when i was when i was playing through battletoads like i am not gonna lie i had some difficulty even though it's a lot easier than the original game i still you know i think we're just so used to easier games now 
and this is not like a, a, a I wouldn't consider it when you think of generation games this generation as easy as some of the others I mean there's still tactics that you got to do like dodge enemies there's so many enemies on screen and you know I will tell you this the axemen level where they throw the axes at you those yellow guys oh I did not like those guys they were difficult when there was like four on screen I was like dodging left and right. <laughs> I am so glad though that you put in the ability to switch between the battle toads and like when one would yeah. be exhausted, another one would drop in. That was a very cool mechanic you guys did. Yeah. And I Definitely. think that, you know, it, it for this generation of gamers, it brings them into something that they can enjoy without feeling like that sewer bike level that we all <laughs> remember from the Nintendo days where it was just a grind if you didn't have a game genie or some type of emulator cheater to beat it um definitely, definitely. yeah and uh one more thing i want to tell you i did like the point and click games like you the day of the tentacle i love my favorite and you might laugh at this is leisure suit larry and that was because my mom <laughs> when i when we first got a computer she's like oh well you need games to play because these computers are expensive and I was like, okay. And she's like, the guy at the computer store said you would love Leisure Suit Larry. But she came <laughs> home with Leisure Suit Larry, so she had no idea what those games were about. And when she saw me play it, she's like, what's that on the screen? I'm like, a cartoon girl? She's like, yeah. what's that cartoon girl doing? I'm like, um, I'm not sure yet. Let me find that out. <laughs> so, yeah. I bet there's a lot of poor mothers who accidentally uh, got tricked by Electronics Boutique and GameStop uh, staff into buying their kids Leisure Suit Larry. Yes. <laughs> oh, man, I will say this, though, AJ. It was a blast talking to you, and um, thank you for coming on. And sorry we kept you on so long. No, no. Um, But can you tell people where they can find you? Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, definitely. So, obviously, if you want to check out Delala, it's uh, twitter.com slash Studios. So... D-L-A-L-A Studios, all one word, um, and DelalaStudios.com. Myself, I'm Dinost on Twitter, so twitter.com slash D-N-O-S-T. Um, and obviously, if you've not played Battletoads and you want to play it, it is on Game Pass on both Xbox One and Windows 10, and it's also available on Steam. Okay. Um, uh, must yeah. be dog barking. Yeah, my, my dog <laughs> I, I is going a little... You well, see, you could have brought your dog too. He would have been on camera, and the two dogs could have talked to each other. Yeah, that well, would with, be fun. I mean, look, with, that's what we have, that's the next podcast right there, right? right. Yeah. Maybe, maybe my dog wants to be in your next game. His voice somewhere. <laughs> so there is actually a, there's a couple of pictures of Hugo in the game in uh, in Battletoads. Interpretations of Hugo the pug do exist in Battletoads. Uh, one of them, for instance, is in the haunted house in at the carnival. You'll see there's actually an evil pug on the wall in there. So uh, next time you play, if you have a look, you might find a couple of pugs in the game based on Hugo. I'm going to be looking for these Easter eggs. <laughs> I'm going to look for them and posting them on Twitter. <laughs> one Easter egg before we get out of here, AJ, that I want to say was really cool is when they were when he was signing the autographs and next to him was Captain Bones with the Sea of Thieves symbol. Yes. That is awesome because Sea of Thieves was one of my favorite games uh for games as a service this generation i grinded in the beginning the very beginning when the game launched within one month i was pirate legend so i grinded when it was really hard to get it um so i appreciate that easter egg man that was really cool 
Oh, he's a he's an important thing for us, you know. Getting to work on Sea of Thieves kept the studio alive for like six months when we kind of got to work on it towards the end. And then, you know, Sea of Thieves coming out and being the success it was, you know, put us in a great position for us to do Battletoads with Rare and Game Pass. So, um, you know, it felt only fitting that Captain Bones himself was in there rubbing it in in Rash's face that, you know, he was famous and Rash wasn't anymore. But yeah, that was awesome. Loved it, man. I loved it. Um, was Craig surprised with that? Did what's that, sorry? Craig, was he surprised with that, or did he know? So, so, he, so he knows. So when we were looking at what we were going to do there, um, it was actually Craig's suggestion that we just use Captain Bones because it was relevant for now, it was something that made sense, and it was kind of a quick one that he could literally rubber stamp there and then. Um, so Craig is a big part of the reason that Captain Bones went in. Um, what was really nice was that uh, Dave Housden, the composer, and John Vincent from Rare, who did the audio, they work together to give the audio towards the end that uh, Sea of Thieves feel, which is why you hear kind of little like the shanty style music and stuff right at the end. Okay. Okay. Nice. Okay. Sorry, well, um, I didn't mean to interrupt well, that, like that. <laughs> that's okay. Uh, my dog was still barking in the background, but I have that <laughs> um, GeForce RTX thing that uh, Flemish told me about. So hopefully it's working. Um, Dreadpool, it's working. tell people where they can find you. Well, you can always find me every Wednesday night at 8 p.m. on Gaming Beyond the Box and also on Playcasters, except for this month because I'm sponsoring a haunted house for the month. Uh, Breakfast with Boom on Friday mornings at 10 a.m. And I'm also doing Breaking Bread with Dread. And that's where I meet up with the community. And we talk about gaming, life, and whatever. So it's it's all the personalities that... Um, or in the community, and we just kind of go like that. And if I ever make it over there, AJ, I'm going to hit you up, and we'll see if we can do some Breaking Bread with Dread. And basically, we sit down, we eat, and we talk. Sounds great. Can't wait. Thank you. And yeah. Flemish, where can people find the Belgian sensation that likes Hershey's chocolate? <laughs> yeah, so uh, you can find me, Flemish, on my channel uh, on YouTube called Flemish. Uh, you can find me on uh, on Twitter under the Twitter handle Clowns. You're not gonna try? No. Oh, okay. uh, Gregory Goivertz is how I say it in Flemish language. Yeah, he's always trying to say my name in uh, in uh, in Dutch, but it doesn't help it. <laughs> but yeah, you can find me on Twitter, and um, I basically have my Flemish experience on Sunday. And then the rest of the week, I'm always like on a 4GQ TV with clowns uh, doing the news and some game streams. So you can find me there. Yeah, and you can find me, uh, Italian Clowns, below on almost all social media. Four Guys with Quarters on Tuesday, Breakfast with Boom Mondays, Game Beyond the Box on Wednesdays at 8 with Dreadpool. And then 4GQ TV News with Flamish. And then sometimes we do game streams as well. Um, so thank you for everybody who tuned in, AJ, thank you again, it was really awesome to get to talk to you and, and hear your passion about the gaming industry and what you grew up with and how you came to be with your own studio, it's just an amazing journey, and I really hope to see a lot more stuff uh, come out from Delilah, because I think you guys are doing a fantastic job, um, your animation is on point, your humor is on point, everything, man, is just, it's on point. Thank you very much. I'd also like to thank Johansson and Rory for stopping in here and trying to help us out with some of these uh, 
redacted uh, information. <laughs> yeah. Yes. They're, they're in trouble after this call. They, they tell you what, they're not getting the pig. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, and I forgot to say one thing. Uh, and you can also find me on Red to Ring Gates uh, on 7 p.m. Uh, on Tuesdays because I forgot that last time. <laughs> That's right. I forgot to even throw my Twitter handle out there. Don't worry about it. Yeah, it's it's with uh, two it's zeros for Dreadpool. Any anybody yeah. who's wondering. Yes. All right. Later. Later, yeah, guys. See you all later, guys. Happy gaming. See you later, everyone.